This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is Brad Leone. You might know him from It's Alive, Going Places, just an awesome guy, uh, a chef, an adventurer, a hunter, uh, all around good, solid dude with an amazing story as well. We first met at the SIG Hunter Games this last June in Wyoming and had a great time together. So it was awesome to have him on the podcast. He has a new book out. This is a cookbook called Field Notes for Adventure and a super cool cookbook. I'm gifting it to a bunch of people this holiday season. So be sure and pick this up. It just came out. We had a great time talking and hopefully we're going to get out, uh, hunt, fish, hang out and cook together soon. Uh, check him out, Brad Leone, L-E-O-N-E.com. And you can link to a lot of the things we talk about in the podcast to include this cookbook and knives and a bunch of other things as going on. So now, without further ado, Brad Leone. So we first met at the uh, the SIG Hunter Games. That's right, out in Wyoming. That was awesome. So that was a crazy uh, little event, like four days, two days, hiking around the backcountry, going to different stations and shooting and uh, competition. So who was on your team? I forgot. Yeah. So, so it was just, I'm, I'm kind of the worst with names. Okay. Oh, you're, don't worry. Just- no, you're a very easy guy to remember. There was this one guy who, um, what the hell he was. Yeah. In- what did they do? Yeah. What was yeah, their so background? I'll tell you, he was a, he was a super nice guy. A little, um, a few years older than me. I'm 36. And he was like, he was big into, he was like a bow hunting television show, like on like okay. outdoor network and stuff like that. I believe it was called, um, given right. Um, nice. Okay. And then it was this other guy, a uh, big, I think his name was Damien and he was like a big time elk caller, professional like elk caller champion and holder kind of guy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Craziest story not to go, but whatever. So like we're, we're at, we're doing this thing. We're walking around day one, you know, like, He's a little more of like a little, he was a little bit of a heavier set kind of fella, right? You know, but like Hardy and like he was he was from New Mexico and El Cotton, you know, he held his own. But the whole time he kept saying, ah, my back, I kept going to stretch my back, got to stretch my back, right? And then we're hiking, we're hiking day two or day, yeah, day two or three. Yeah, it must have been day two. He sat out. He's like, you know what? Like, I'm just sorry, guys. Like, he was all beat up about it. And um, I was like, yeah, man, you might want to get that checked out, dude. I don't know if it's like a pulled muscle, yada, yada, yada. And uh, long story short, man, like a month after, I get a call from James Nash um, oh. from you know Six Six Ranch, and yeah. uh, the the fine fellow, the gentleman, gentleman passed away. He had no he way. Had a heart attack. Yeah, from that. Oh. That was the pain. I had no idea. That crazy. Oh man, that's horrible. <laughs> to laugh. I'm just you know, it's just like yeah, it was wild. Um, and he was like the sweetest oh. guy, man. He had kids and stuff, and oh. Uh, yeah, it was a major bummer, you know, and I kind of every times, you know, uh, I think of that event, uh, I can't help but kind of think of him. Yeah, man, I didn't know that. That that stuff is so scary because you never know, you know. It's just like, gosh, yeah, you just it never know like how much getting, time. Yeah, it sounded like he was getting some some like kind of, you know, medical advice that you know I guess wasn't the right stuff, you know, and oh, and even if you day, do, I guess, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, I mean, you never know how much time you have left on on this planet, you know. It's always a a reminder there's been a few things like that that recently yeah. where and people are just super in super great shape and eat right and do all the rest of it then all of a sudden gone you know you yeah. just never so you never know and uh, obviously you never know i mean you can yeah. anything can 
can happen. So it's always a, a good reminder to, to, uh, you know, make sure you're doing the, the right things for, for today, setting things up for your family in the future and, and all that sort of thing, but don't waste a second of this time. Cause you have one ride on this planet and you get to decide if That's you're going right. to spend that in comments on social media, being mean to people or, uh, leaving nasty <laughs> reviews for things <laughs> or That's whatever, right, yeah. or, you know, doing something positive and moving the ball forward for, you know, for you're a thousand, thousand percent. Right. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I'm a, I try to champion myself and take pride in, uh, having a mantra of positivity. I think it's, uh, I think it's, well, obviously it's, you know, no, um, negativity never seemed to help anything. And, and also I think it's just good for everyone on a mental health level and just, and just in general. I mean, I, I haven't found the downside of it for me personally. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful uh, that I'm able to function that way. Um, but you know, I'm a big believer. You put that, you put it out there and it seems to, you know, it's been working for me so far. Oh yeah. I mean, it totally comes across in all your videos in your, in your new book. Like it comes across in everything that you do, which is so much. And you make everything you do fun and making cooking fun for people is so beneficial because a lot of times we get these cookbooks or whatever, and we're looking through and it's like, okay, it says a quarter cup of this. And I'm like stressing that I'm going to get all the right things. And then you see you and I see you out there with, on your table and you're like tossing stuff in and you're like, yeah, yeah. maybe a little more of this, you know, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, so it's so fun to watch it. It makes me when I'm trying to make something for family, there's a little less stressed. Cause I'm like, ah, you know what Brad does? He just tosses stuff in there. You know, he makes it all fun. So it's uh, it's super cool how you do all that. Yeah. You know, the way I like to compare, well, thank you. Uh, the way I like to compare it. I mean, I don't play an instrument. I wish I did, but uh, it's kind of like a guitar. I guess as soon as you like know, like some of the, like the, the fundamental chords, you could just say, you know, those are just like muscle memory. And then you could start fooling around and riffing around on it and making all these, you know, really cool noises. And I think that's kind of like food. As long as you have like, a little bit of a fundamental understanding about certain proteins or this or that. A lot of it seems to be common sense in my opinion, but then it's just intuition and experience, I guess, you know, uh, I always like to tell people they're, they're a lot better cooks than they usually let themselves be or, yeah. or, or tell, you know, allow themselves to be, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, going back to some of the, the positivity stuff, I wrote down something, uh, and I forgot exactly where I, where I got it, but someone said this about, about your show. And they said it's part cooking show, part travel show, part pop-up video, and part continuous blooper reel. It's just awesome. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so because it's so fun to so fun to watch, um, which is super cool. But yeah, positivity is part again. You know, I, I think about that uh, quite a bit just because you know I, I, I'm engaged on on social channels. I like to use social media to thank everyone who buys the books or tells a friend sure. about them and all that stuff. So I try to try to use it that way. But if you're on it at all, you just see the negative side because you can't avoid it because people, whatever reason, I don't know what that is. It just like enables this negativity that, uh, and, and I guess people are upset with their own lives or whatever and like to lash out. Maybe, I don't know, but, uh, easy, but you yeah. can't avoid it. So you see it and you have to take active steps to not let it affect you. Cause it is really amazing how one person like negative comment can really like, Oh man. And yeah. it gives me stuff to work with for my, for my novels because it gives me a little, you know, psychological insight to different people <laughs> or different characters. Yeah. So I get to use all that in a positive way, hopefully. But, uh, but man, it's, uh, I mean, you can use it for just like anything, you know, you can use it for, uh, for, for good, you can use it for evil, um, right. and use it to make somebody's day or make it, use it to ruin somebody's day. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a tool, right. And it is, it's exactly what you'd make of it. Um, I, I love social media. Hell, it's been great for me. And, you know, there's the problem is like you were saying, we're, you know, describing is that it's easy to, 
just say something. There's no, the human element of interaction has been removed on that. So it's like, you know, it's easy to be, for lack of better description, it's easy to be a bully, you know, because no one's going to punch you in the face, you know, like that's how it was when I was younger. I mean, like if you, not that, you know, people got punched in the face all the time, but like, you know, <laughs> like, but it happened, you know, yeah. and it was just like, it kept you in, 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 you know, that kind of like, you know, but like the internet, it's just so easy to kind of blast out on someone. And even if you're dealing, a lot of it seems to be when people have, they're dealing with their own stuff, like you were saying, or their own kind of hate within. And, uh, you know, it's funny anytime social media for me has been 95% positive as far yeah. as in my interactions with people. And it's great. I love it. I talk to it. It's a, it's a community. Right. But like, yeah. So a lot of the, the the other the small percentage of things that have been negative, you know, I, I go through my I look at my messages that people send to me. And, you know, I can't get to all of them, but I look at them and like if I do catch a negative one, you know, say in my life I've responded twenty times, right? I bet you nineteen of them, if not twenty, nineteen of them were, were like, oh, you know, I didn't think you were going to respond. You know, I'm just, you know, yeah. blah, 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 but backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, I have no, no, no hard feelings, but like, you know, just, <laughs> if you don't like what yeah. I'm doing, if you don't like that, I, I shot a deer and you're, you know, calling me a, a whatever, like, then just unfollow me, man. Change yeah. the channel. You know, there's like, a lot of options out there. A lot of options just, out there. <laughs> just change the channel. Yeah, I call no, it digital courage, you know, digital courage. Somebody's behind there instead of liquid courage uh, at a right. bar back in the day. Yeah. But, uh, liquid courage or uh, digital courage today behind that that keyboard. But I oftentimes wonder if uh, anyone's ever going to be on their deathbed and say, oh, I wish I'd left one more negative comment or I wish I'd oh. left one more negative review on Amazon. That would make my life complete. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, uh, Jack, no, no doubt. There's definitely going to be, you know, probably a thousand people died that way already. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt <laughs> You know, oh, no. it's, it's, it's a numbers game, Jack. And I'm afraid, you know, uh, we're, some are just that deep with it. I think it might be there. Their last oh, man. wish. Oh, man. <laughs> well, dude, hey, thank you so much for sending me the book. So I bought one because I always love to support the cause. And then you sent me one, which was a thank surprise. You. I didn't know you were doing that. Thank you for, for signing it and, and, and sending it. But uh, how did all this start for you? Like, did you grow up with an interest in uh, the outdoors or an interest in cooking or an interest in both? Like, how did this uh, this evolve? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I got, I was definitely had an interest in, you know, growing up, uh, my parents were both, you know, decent, good cooks, you know, uh, limited access to good ingredients. You know, they like to, you know, my dad and mom both did a little farming, a little gardening and grew tomatoes and stuff like that. So like I had that exposure and respect for ingredients through that. And then my dad was into hunting and fishing. So that got me into like that, you know, protein and respect for the outdoors and just, you know, the beauty of being in it. Um, and then having, you know, a career a whole lifetime ago, you know, uh, I switched, you know, I, I got into this food thing uh, as we, as I know it now, when I was like about 27 years old, I was, oh, wow. doing, yeah, I was doing construction and stuff like that before that it was kind of, kind of a dead end situation I was in. Um, Were you still cooking you know, at the same time? It's on your own? Or? Just for, yeah, like gardening in the backyard and cooking. Yeah. And just like swinging a hammer and being, you know, I don't know, just hanging out with losers for the most part. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't the best scenario, you know, but like I always wanted to do something more. I had a few ups and downs and, you know, highs and lows like the rest of us, you know, but um, nothing bad, you know? And then, uh, at 27, I was just like, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. People are like, why don't you go be a chef? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. The, the food industry is so big, you know, kind of naiveness of me. I was like, I, 
maybe I can go like develop flavors for like, I don't know, like I, the next ice cream sandwich or some shit, you know, like I barely graduated high school. It turns out those people are, are food scientists. You got to go to, you have to be like a doctor, but, <laughs> but, but I was like, yeah, but it, you know, it made me jump, you know, and uh, just getting into something else. And I even remember, so yeah. So I, I, I found a, I took a loan out and went to a little culinary school, kind of a six month program, kind of a turn and burn kind of place uh, at the time for me anyway, uh, it was in Manhattan. And I found a, an apartment, yeah, I found an apartment in Craigslist and, you know, it had like six roommates or something, but it was a cool spot in, in Brooklyn. They all ended up being really cool people. Um, a few of them I'm still friends with. And, uh, and at that time, yeah, I was going to school and then working at night at a couple of restaurants in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And then uh, afterwards, I, I got an internship. You know, everyone was going to like these like big restaurants, you know, they wanted to go work with this chef and that. And I was like, ah. I don't know, like this whole food media thing. I don't know, magazines, Monday through Friday. That shit sounds way better than like <laughs> working in the, like the kitchens, you know? And like, I like both, but like I wanted to get into something else. So, so basically I got the internship and then I think I was kind of had a refreshing work ethic for them as an intern, given I was you know almost 30 and been through some shit. And then, um, <laughs> and then I got, took a job as basically like a glorified dishwasher assistant and then just kind of, Worked as test kitchen and recipe development. Um, you know, video wasn't a thing at the time, really. Just very, very basic small clips that didn't even affect me. Um, just like overhead hands and pans. Um, and then it started to, uh, you know, snowball and develop. I wanted to make video. And then we shot the first video, It's Alive, where it was me making kombucha. And like, it sat on a hard drive for like seven months. You know, uh, the bobs, the bosses, they... Uh, they were like, um, you know, we, we can't put this out. You know, I was like, no, you're right. This is a piece of, this is a piece of garbage. <laughs> we we got to delete this immediately. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but eventually they like the way, you know, a couple of uh, two, you know, uh, editor came on team and he's been with us since the beginning. And, uh, and the way we kind of chopped it up, it was fun. And it, uh, and it came out and then it just kind of organically took off. And because it happened on its own design, instead of in like a, you know, like a YouTube development office lab, you know, uh, format. It was great because like no one messed with me. It just kind of, they just let me do my thing. And then, and then, you know, kind of just flowered into where, you know, just doing a lot of stuff. No kidding. Yeah. There's one video I saw where you talk about that. So, so is it, so it was your video that started this whole thing or was it Bon Appetit's or the restaurants? Like where did the, where did it come from? Like to do that first yeah. video? Yeah. So sorry. So I was working in the, for Bon Appetit magazine. And I ended up being the manager for the test kitchen. And in that space, there was a lot of different editors and people coming in and out of the kitchen. And, and then video started to happen. And then, you know, they were doing real short format for Bon Appetit magazine. Yeah. So it's not a real yeah. restaurant. It was like, it was just, just for, okay. So it's just for the magazine and just for whatever and they're doing on their platforms. Front, exactly. Yeah. Whatever vertical they wanted to grow at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quite, it was mostly all print then, you know, we're talking, you know, what, eight, eight years ago, right? You know, nine years ago, some shit, eight years ago. And um, it was mostly print. Print was, you know, was was the money. And then internet became a little bit more and then video and now, and you know, and then, you know, people say print's dead, but you know, whatever. I don't think it's just that kind of version of it as it was, you know, it, it's just, you know, changing. So they, you know, they adapted to investing into, uh, you know, video and, me and media online, you know, digital media content, content. And, uh, and, you know, me being just a psychopath who was good at just having fun and talking to myself at a camera, you know, like a lunatic. And uh, 
and then just being able to like dive into, you know, the fermentation and then food. And then I really, where I really thrive is being with someone. I want to learn, let's go make sausage. Let's go, I'll go, let's go cook on a mountainside in Afghanistan with a sheep farmer. If it was, you know, possible, you know, or whatever, like that kind of shit for me, like that's what it's always been about. And it started to be able to, you know, Condé Nast and Bon Appetit let me kind of go down that way. And people were interested in it. It turns out there's a huge market around, you know, food and, and, and education and, and positivity, you know, I yeah. think so anyway. Yeah, I think so. That's the kind of shit I want to watch. So yeah. I'm trying, let's, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, man, you're crushing. But so at first did they, were they like, all right, let's put this thing out there. And then they're like, wait, what's this video taking off? Is that the, was that the dishwasher kid? What, what is he doing? It, like, <laughs> no, how, I mean, how, how, how did they react to it? Like, you know, taking off and, and, uh, it, it just, you know, almost, almost out of nowhere, once they put it out there or you put it out there, however that happened, uh, were they kind of like, wait a sec, what's going, what's going on here? Who's this guy? Maybe we should take a second look at this. I'm sure someone high up in, in, uh, <laughs> in, in, in Condé Nast was having that conversation and with yeah. or something, you know, but, um, <laughs> But like the Bon Appetit immediate family, especially at that time, and even now for that matter, you know, it's, it's close. And and I, you know, was I was there for a while, and I started in the beginning when they first moved to New York. So it was all pretty a new team. Um, you know, they were only in New York from L.A. for a year before I joined. So like, yeah, it was like a big family. At the, you know what I mean? Like I, oh, nice. Yeah, when they they were just like, yeah, of course. Like everyone wants to like hang out and like ferment things with Brad. It's fun, you know. And so like. Yeah, it just worked out. So where did the next uh, like next video, once they put that out there and it started taking off, um, were they like, hey, let's do a series? Or how did that how did that evolve from there? Yeah, it was just keep going. And then, you know, it was real loose, man. There wasn't much direction or budget. It was just one guy, this guy's kid, Vinny, uh, at the time, uh, who was filming with me. And uh, he would just come down. I was working in the test kitchen anyway. This was the beauty of it. It's not like this anymore. And that's why the show, you know, thankfully, in, in my opinion, evolved to more of a, um, I like the travely stuff. I like yeah. working outside of the kitchen. If we want to bring it back, that's fine, but I need to get out. I don't want to just do stuff in my um, thing. And then we've been able to work a lot outside, which is awesome. But um, yeah, so because I was working in the kitchen already and things were just happening and like in my own time, you know, uh, in between downtimes during the workday, you know, because as we all know it, you know, if you're going through the office, whether it's a kitchen or not, well, kitchen's less, but like there's always like some downtime, you know, and like, I would always have little projects going on this little like section of the, of the kitchen in the back there. And, uh, it just became like this thing and they were just like, just following around. And we did that for, you know, a, like a year or two at least, you know, and then it kind of just evolved into more things. And then some clients were involved and we got to travel and go to Hawaii and South America. And, you know, do you see how chocolate wasn't actually a fermented product and just meet beautiful people and their families who, you know, had nothing and, you know, wouldn't stop smiling and would have gave me the shirt off his back and split his dinner with me if we allowed it. You know what I mean? It was just, it was incredible. So like that for me, that's, that's, that's the next, that's what I want to continue to do. You know, food being a, a universal language, you know? Yeah. No, the shows are so fun to watch. Uh, I mean, you're, you're fly fishing with Steve Ranella, meat eater doing that. That was awesome. Uh, you're spear fishing out in, in Hawaii. That was super cool. Uh, that was yeah. amazing. That what a cool experience that that looked like. The octopus, the whole. I mean, that was amazing. Yeah, uh, Kimmy's a Kimmy's yeah. a badass man, and, uh, and getting out there and doing that was incredible. And that kind of got me into. I do a bit now up by me here in, uh, nice. in coast, coastal Connecticut on the border of Rhode Island. 
but yeah, meeting people like that, Steve, you know, hopefully we're going to be doing a bunch more videos together and uh, yeah, we'll see. Nice. And the crazy one though, was the mushroom one. Uh, and the video, whatever you made with mushrooms, like I, I made a note of watching it. Like I got to do that. Um, looks so good. But what, uh, that was crazy going to the, was it a mushroom farm? I mean, you're walking into those yeah. containers and that was wild. I had no idea that, uh, oh, you know, the one yeah, that there yeah. were so many different kinds. I mean, I knew there was just, just from the grocery store, seeing all the different kinds of mushrooms or seeing it in a recipe here or there, or, uh, having going out with someone that knows like what to pick and doing the wild ones and mix, mixing up different sauces and stuff. But going into that farm and seeing how they do that, how they grow them. That was crazy. Did you know about that ahead of time? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, so, obviously for the show, but had you known about it for years or did you learn a lot by going to do that show as well? Yeah. I learned about it, you know, over the, over, over time and just being exposed to people. And, you know, I, I seen it a couple of times before we did that, but just, you know, mycelium and, and fungus in general, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it runs the world, you know, there's like, it's, there's more, there's more fungus than there is anything. And you know, it's, it's intertwined. We're more, we're more closely related to the, you know, to the fungus than what we are to a plant. Um, and it's just neat, man. It, to me, it's just, I think it's going to have a massive part of the future as far as culinary uh, and, and then medicinal purposes. It just, and it has to be intertwined. It already is, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, but fungus is just is absolutely fascinating. It blows me away. And those shipping containers, you go in there and these farm ones, and it's it's a bag with you know they make just like a perfect condition for this for this thing to flourish. This this alien, and uh, and then you know it's misty because it's mm-hmm. you know, the right humid, and all of a sudden you know all the all the mycelium, all these fibers, it's like a, a nervous network. They're all growing in this sawdust bag, and then when the temperature gets right, they trick the humidity and the temperature and the light or whatever kind of wizardry they do. And it makes the, the mycelium fruit. And that's what you're, you're just eating the sex organs at that point. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That was crazy. And I saw you could go and, and uh, get some, so I'm going to buy some and make that, uh, that recipe that you, that you highlighted. That was insane. But, uh, where did the fermentation thing come from? Like, how did you even learn that that was a, that was a thing. And then you're experimenting with it and talking about it. And you've kind of made, you've kind of embraced it as one of your, one of your things that you, uh, that you like to discuss and introduce people to and all that. Where did that, where did that come from? It kind of happened. Like, I don't know, kind of like by, I didn't grow up doing it. My parents, my parents weren't like fermenters or like super crunchy or anything cool like that. <laughs> um, you know, like if they fermented something, it's because they like, forgot it in the garage or, or whatever so, you know right. like, it was it happened by accident like, yeah um and then so i think yeah the first time i really started to get into it was when i was working at, at bon appetit in the test kitchen like one of the maybe the first year or two and uh, a lady who would come in and work freelance uh sometimes a, a food styling I, I believe she was doing um she gave me a scoby like a kombucha mother and then i said she was like yeah ali narni was nardi was the name <laughs> And, um, and she, she gave me this mother and then I had these jars and I had the space to take care of it as work and, you know, whatever, and, you know, use their money to buy the tea and stuff to feed it. And, uh, it was great, you know, and I would make kombucha for everyone. And it was, it was awesome. That's, that's how I fell in love with it. And I started getting good at it and making like a really nice dialed in bottled conditioned kombucha. Uh, and it was, you know, we would, uh, you know, uh, the, the kitchen team, the food team, we would have a bottle uh, every morning. It was, it was cool. That's, that's how that's. And then from there, it just snowballed. A, I needed, they wanted me to do more videos. And I was like, fuck, I got to learn new stuff. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I started learning new projects and that's, you know, just went down that rabbit hole and we had like a hundred episodes. That's amazing. And then the, the hunting yeah. side of the house, like, like for me, food is such a great way to 
uh, not just introduce people to hunting, but to uh, introduce them to the the concept of, hey, this is a normal thing to do for, you know, for most of human existence. We have had to be good at a couple of things. Uh, one, fighting to defend yourself, your family, your tribe. Uh, and then two, uh, hunting to put food on the table, to feed that yourself, your family, your tribe, your community. Uh, only very recently, we've been able to outsource all those things by calling 911 or running down to the grocery store and picking a steak off a shelf and not thinking twice about where it came from. Um, that's just the sl slimmest part of human existence. Uh, and I think cooking and, and uh, eating, preparing food is a, such a great way to uh, kind of, if someone's not a hunter or is against hunting or is against procuring your own food, it's such a good way to kind of say, Hey, where did this, Hey, this was, this came from. It was, it was out here on this mountain living this wildlife and, and, uh, here it is and we're honoring it and we're eating it and boom, boom, boom. And, uh, and also maybe talk about where some of the food in their grocery store came from. Just make them think at least twice about where that came from, or where their handbag came from or the leather seats in their car or, or whatever else. But, oh, yeah. uh, what have you seen as far as like, you know, restaurants in New York city, you see some that are focused on wild game or have wild game on the menu or that sort of a thing is, uh, what's been your experience with, uh, with that, with hunting and with, uh, with, with talking to people about it and introducing them to, to hunting or yeah. starting that conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think hunting got like a bad reputation, you know, and had a bad voice for a while. Um, and you know, I think there are, there were a lot of bandits probably out there and there probably still are who you know, aren't, you know, aren't going by the rules and regulations and aren't in it for, you know, the respect, but I know damn well, a good percentage of them are and some of the best people I know, uh, especially when it comes to taking care of the planet and having respect for animals and just being overall humble, kind, beautiful people tend to be, in my opinion, a lot of them are hunter and fishermen and just outdoorsmen. Um, you know, it's, it's a religion for a lot of people in a church, you know, and, and I can relate to that. Uh, and then being able to tie it into food. I mean, yeah, you're hundred percent right. I mean, it's, it's, it's ancient, you know, it, it's way more embedded in it than, than we want. And, you know, unless you're, unless you're growing your own almonds and, and, and milking them somewhere and, and, and <laughs> you know, and I don't know, growing tomatoes and, you know, walking around your tiptoes and not crushing any ants or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. where do we, where do we stop? You know what I mean? And like, so I, I don't know. And like, for me, there's a major contradiction in it because like, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Sorry. But yeah. like, when did we start like who gave okay like why do we just how come no one gives a shit about plants you can eat the shit out of them that, that life that that life in in this universe doesn't doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so like you can chomp away on anything when it, as long as it's you know and i understand there's different you know they take different nervous systems and, and what we deem intelligent uh, life forces and life you know but like as we're finding out, you know, in our, you know, big cocky human brains is that plants and fungus and fish and other species are super intelligent, you know, and like, I'm okay with eating all of them, you know, but like, you gotta, cause that's just, I don't, there isn't a better system yet. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we haven't, we haven't figured, I don't know. And I think at the end of the day, no one wants factory farming except for the prick doing it and making money. You know what I mean? Like, so like, you know, people, and the responses I've gotten from being able to do some hunting, like pheasant hunting and, and wild boar in Hawaii and, um, and fishing is like, it's a respect and it's just being transparent. Like this is, if you're going to the supermarket and you're getting your ribeye or your salmon filet from the Faroe Islands or whatever, you're just not seeing the, you know, come on, like it's all, you know, it's just a, a little clean piece and, you know, no face anymore, no feathers, no nothing. This is happening on a massive scale. We, we, you know, 
400 million pigs a year or whatever, you know, you fact check that number, but like, you know, it's, it's massive. So like being able to harvest an animal, whether you're farming it yourself and just being the accountability for what's going into it, you know, because, you know, as, as we found out, the industrialization of the food system uh, certainly had some flaws and, uh, and not the best interest for our uh, health. Uh, it seems in some of the aspects, you know, uh, is hunting going to solve world hunger? No, obviously not, you know, but, but good practicing and localization of it. Uh, and, you know, COVID showed that too, how fragile that big monopolized systems are, you know, and, and cyber attacks, like things need to get a little more smaller and, and less monopolized in, in certain aspects when it comes to food. Right. Uh, and that also will be able to reduce the environmental impact and overall health, I believe. And, you know, you go into the supermarket and look at some of the the produce and the meat and, and like, we're unfortunate, don't get me wrong, that it's an option. And, you know, financially is another thing. Good food's expensive, especially when you're buying it at a supermarket, you know. Um, so there's a lot of problems with it. But like, I guess to wrap that question up in a way, like, yeah, I think just no one, the way it's been perceived is just, again, no one wants the bad, the bad practice. You know, everyone's sick of it. You know, let's just, let's just figure a better way out. It seems like a lot of people who are, smarter at it and better at it than me that certainly are doing it it's just i don't know i guess it's a big problem huh? <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah covid did open a few people's eyes for sure into how fragile society can actually be um and and most of the world obviously deals with that you know here we're, we're insulated yeah. from from a lot of that uh uh having worrying about the next the next meal malaria like all these things uh that most of the rest of the world has to worry about we're you know, fairly, fairly insulated in this country. It also makes yeah, it part of the process. Die, people die in a starvation. All, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, uh, in the world, you know, every year and like how much we waste, what it's like 40 or something percent of all food or something. It's like, it's wild. Yeah. You know? it's, it's insane. Yeah. There was, what was it? A book or like three or four years ago, a book or a video movie, I forget what it was, but uh, just talking about how much waste there is. And that's the other part about hunting. Like when we put uh, an elk on the table out there, there's nothing's wasted because we Got know it. where it came from and how much work went in. And that's the other part of it. Once you do it, I think once you're out there and you're doing it and you're bringing that food back and you're processing it and then you're cooking it, you're doing all those things. You're, you're not wasting any of it. And then for me, it is a shock just actually how inexpensive some things are at the supermarket, like knowing how much went in to what we just did with a mule deer right. or an elk or a moose or whatever it yeah. might be. And then seeing, you know, one ninety nine or, you know, five ninety nine. Like, amazing that it's for me anyway i'm like how you had to raise that thing you had to do all this you had to transport it you had to put it on a shelf you're paying all these people at each one of those stages to get it there i'm always like wow why is this only five bucks i mean it's crazy they, just how much goes into making yeah. that happen that's because they process it like a grain you know it's just it's it's a numbers thing and it's a, it's so scaled that they can sell you this big giant weird pork loin that's as white as a piece of paper when you cook it and has you know, uh, almost no fat on it. It's just like this big, you know, weird. Like that's that's not what a pig looks like. You know, like I've seen some really healthy pigs, whether wild or or, or farmed. And like, man, that sometimes it can it can look like steak. You know, like I can get nice and red and pink and beautiful fat on it. So I mean, yeah. Once you, I mean, I'm I'm I, I once you see the light, I, I can't go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like once you, you know, it's just, I'm being able to. Uh, and where I live is great, man. I mean, I, I shot two deer this year, um, and you know, not even hunting that aggressively and, um, you know, a bunch of geese and, uh, some, you know, and we got some pheasant and, you know, some, 
some tuna. We go fishing right here and spear fishing and you know sea bass and being able to just process that with a, with some friends and then being able to grow vegetables and stuff. I mean, I'm I just moved up here, but in the next couple of years, man, I want to get this place where we could be, you know, providing a lot of the food that we need through you know just growing. You know, we get great sun and soil. Like it'd be crazy not to, good water. Um, and then having the ocean and the land, it's just such a it reminds me of like friends in Hawaii, right? They just have that like ocean and land that they can, you know, really get dialed in and provide off of. Yeah. No, the, the, what you show in the backyard and on the videos and the show, I mean, it looks so beautiful back there and there's so much you can do with that, with that property. It looks amazing. Yeah. The show in Hawaii was, was crazy seeing the, uh, the hunt and seeing how you guys did with the, how you cooked that, uh, the, the, yeah, the wild boar great. and all that stuff. I mean, that was, that was so cool to, to see all that. But, uh, but yeah, Steve, what is it? Steve Ranella has, he has that pyramid that he calls something like the pyramid of like how you, people care about food. Like they don't really care about plants. Like, you know, fish is kind of, you know, it's okay. You know, maybe a deer, but as soon as you hold up a couple other things that have been, right. uh, you know, that have personalities in cartoons or whatever, then people get, get irate. Uh, and they can oh, anyway. Yeah, bear, I mean, bears one, right. I mean, mm -hmm. I, people, this is a whole other time. I'll cook. I cook the coyote. I, I eat coyote, man. You know, oh, wow. how was it? I think it's great. I think I could make you coyote tacos, not even tell you. And you'd be like, oh, where'd you get the beef? You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we had we had I bear don't... that uh that um that I got from the the gritty Bowman. So the, the from the, the gritty gritty podcast. Uh and and he gave me a couple of years ago uh some canned bear, black bear. And it sat on our, so I brought it home and it sat on our counter for a while, like three or four months. And, uh, my wife and I just kept looking at it and looking at it. And, uh, and then we had a, people over for a wild game dinner where we took out elk and we took out uh, salmon that we brought back from, from British Columbia. We took out mule deer, we took out all these different things and, uh, and had them all, all laid out there. And then we opened the bear and it was everyone's favorite thing. So that bear must've been just eating blueberries and, you know, it was Acorns. so good. Yeah. It was amazing. So, um, yeah, but, but that, that, that pyramid, I mean, it's a real thing. And, uh, oh, yeah. I just got back from a moose hunt not too long ago, a month and a half or so ago, two months ago. And, uh, you know, I posted about it and someone made a really nasty comment, which is fine. And, uh, and I clicked on them cause it was like one of those ones that gets, gets you as you're going down and I'm thanking everybody for different things. Yeah. And I see this one nasty one. I'm like, oh. and then for whatever reason I clicked on it, I don't usually do that. And like one of his first pictures, he's holding up a fish like, like this. Stop. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't comment. I was like, I'm just going to continue on because I, I need, right. I can't use just my time. Whatever. But, yeah. but it's like, <laughs> come on. Uh, it, it's, it's so interesting. Like, and, and, you know, a lot of the people, and I always use the, you know, LA, New York um, uh, example, whether that's fair or not, but uh, you know, people that are trying to, to ban hunting or supporting organizations that want to ban it because they want to, you know, save the animals or whatever. And then, then their house has a rodent infestation. And they kill you know, them they all. Call, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fumigated. The, the whole thing's covered in a tent. Yeah. yeah. They're called, you know, something in the house, you know, whether it's cockroaches or it's rats or it's mice or it's whatever, you know, that's, that's different. But, uh, if you want to actually procure your own food, use all of it, you know, bring it home, honor the animal, uh, you know, help populations, you know, all, all that sort of thing, all that science that goes into it by, uh, you know, different organizations that are specifically focused on managing the environment because we have humans and environment, you know, up against one another, uh, because we're, we have cities and towns and all that sort of a thing. Um, but it's just interesting to me how you can be so disconnected from the land. Uh, and it's not necessarily a healthy thing. Uh, I guess time will tell, 
but uh, it doesn't seem like it's very healthy to be that disconnected from what keeps you alive. Meaning both yeah. the both kind of the the training and means to protect the gift of life from yourself, your family, your children, um, and uh, and then put food on the table for for them as well. So I don't I don't think long term, especially when we see how fragile society actually can be, um, and how it is in most of the world. That I don't think it's yeah that healthy mean, to be that disconnected. I'm, I'm no prepper by any means or anything like that, but like you know, it's just a reality. Especially when I was like living in the city, like little things like you know we lose they lost power for a couple of days or it was like a bad snowstorm and it's like i think you know the water turn turns off like people get some and there's a lot of good don't get me wrong i'm not just seeing the dark but like some people can get really scared and things can get ugly i mean like that's that is a reality you know if things were to get serious like food all of a sudden you know the smiths can't their kids you know their babies starving because there's no food in the in this food desert of a city that we created like it's not in it's not i hate to be that like, sound like this but it's like you know it's just it's 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 something like why not be prepared you know in, yeah. in a sense or at least acknowledge that it can happen especially yeah. something as simple as water you know like it just seems to make sense i mean it's uh it's been kind of uh the stigma attached to to being prepared uh, especially in this country other countries you have to be, otherwise you die. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> in this country, there's like a stigma <laughs> attached to it. Um, and uh because it puts you in a, a certain category. Uh when it it's seems a very to be like natural, politicized. Yeah, exactly. You know, you want to have a, like a, a things, little yeah. bit of water, uh, you know, you want to have a little food, maybe. Uh all of a sudden you're a, a, a prepper and you go in a separate category. Um, and then next thing you know, society uh, something happens and that same neighbor who put you in that category is banging on your door asking for some, some fresh water or some help or whatever it might be. Um, right. you know, same thing with medical, you know, very, only very recently have we been able to outsource that and not have to, to know how to, how to pack a wound or, you know, put a tourniquet on or, or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it's interesting stuff to think about, but you know, when I was watching the Hawaii episode, I love, love the islands. Uh, amazing out there. Um, I'm a partner in a hunting operation on Lanai. Uh, access to oh, your cool. move on sheep and uh, the the head chef at Nobu out there. Like he makes this axis deer carpaccio. And uh, so when I was watching oh, you in yeah. Hawaii, I was like, oh man, got to have Brad out to to Lanai. And it's it's called Pineapple Brothers out there. It's it, you stay anyway, stay at the Four Seasons and and you you hunt and and get to know the, the the culture out there and how important hunting is to Hawaii. That hunting culture in Hawaii is just so strong. Oh, um, big and, time. It was yeah. Chasing those deer is something I would love to, I would love to do, man. That sounds, you know, I've been, that's been on the list for a while, but then also, I mean, like you were saying is the, the hunting, the pigs, you know, like, even though they're an invasive species, like, you know, they, they've been there for quite some time, you know, as far as like how they got there. Right. Like, you know, I'm not to be a history guy, but like, you know, I, I, to my understanding, right. Like when, when folks traveled, right. They think from Polynesia or so, right. Or, or back in the day, like they, that's how pigs got, they've been hunting pigs for a very long time in Hawaii. Right. And, um, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, it's just such a, uh, integrated part of their culture. And I would love to go out there and, and do some more hunting and, and, and just some of the, yeah, I just really dug, I got to spend a little, most, I fell in love with the big Island. Um, but I've only been to the big Island and, and Oahu, but I, I mean, it was just, an, it's, it's an incredible spot. 
Yeah, each island has its own personality. It's so cool to go to the different ones, and I want to hunt the other ones as well. Um, I just keep going to Tilanai because of the connection there. Um, but uh, but yeah, each yeah, I think that's own, a good uh, idea. <laughs> yeah, each island <laughs> seems to have its own personality. I want to see if that personality extends to hunting. Kind of going to like I haven't done any hunting in in Europe really, but I want to do that too to see the different hunting cultures over there because it's obviously so so old, dates back so far. But each one has like a little bit different tradition attached to it sure. over there, like how then they how they respect the animal, you know, interested. I'm interested in kind of, you know, also some of the laws surrounding it or whatever, how that, how that all works. Um, because it came from a totally different place than it did. I mean, it was the King's deer over there. Right. And so right, over right. here, we made sure that that wasn't, that wasn't the case. It's the, you know, everyone had access to this, this resource that could help, you know, keep them, them alive. But, uh, yeah, man, that'd be awesome to have, to have you out and do that. I think that'd be, that'd be super fun. Um, and what was like the crabbing one? Like what, what was the, what was that experience like? And do you still go out there? Can you do that where you are? No, nah, different type of crab, but yeah, um, you know, I, Alaska, man. Oh God, I got to go up there a couple times, and uh, I haven't been back in a while. It's like Hawaii; it's it's very high on the list, and hopefully, get up there. Hopefully, get to both these places for fun, and then also, I would love to go up there and do some more videos and do more work. I think there's really great stories to be told. But uh, yeah, that was incredible, man. We um we were we were in Juneau, and we were you know we woke up in the morning, and we had to go. We were going to go catch a seaplane uh, at the airport. And it was too cold to take off for a while. We had to like wait for a couple hours in the airport until it hit like, I forget what the number was, but it was like, like it was literally like, say it was like 19 degrees, right? Like it was like 17. They're like, nope, maybe another 40 minutes, you know? Like, and I was just like, I'm like, I'm not rushing it. You guys know yeah, better yeah. than me, but like, really? Like one degree? Like, <laughs> and um, so we get in the seaplane and we go out in the middle of beautiful man you know just going through you seeing it's just such big bold country right and we're flying for a while we landed this little this little you know a little cove like very alaskan kind of uh coastal setup just a little little town of like i don't know 30 people in a dock and uh we land there and then all of a sudden this big boat came over picked us up that was the crabbing boat and we crabbed all day and you know i worked with the crew all day it was fun man it was um you know, it was a beautiful day and there was like no rough seas at all. It was like flat as a lake. It was ridiculous. The crew were like, man, screw this is almost like we almost wish it was a little rougher because it's like too nice. It's never. Oh, like yeah. This. You're getting the wrong yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and so we did that all day. And then so this big tender boat came and picked up the crabs and they refueled and we took the boat ride back. I think it was like 12 hour boat ride back to Juno. And uh, it was awesome. man. we cooked crabs on the deck. I wish we filmed that. It was, it was, they had this, like, this cat. It was like a movie, you know, like we cooked them on the deck and then we sat in this cabin of this big old ship, just like shrugging back to um, Juno. Uh, and it was like, a, you know, it was like Jaws. It was like this old, like big, like you kind of thing. And these guys sitting there, you know, like this old, the one guy was, uh, you know, from, uh, the one guy was from Hawaii. The other guy, like people were from all over the place up there crabbing for whatever reason. They ended up in Hawaii, up there in, in Alaska on this boat. And I was like, man, this is like, this, I wish this was part of the episode. And then we got back and, and that was that, man. It was cool. Oh, man. What's, uh, what's on the, the agenda for this next year? Like, is it, you have some trips planned to some exotic locales that you can talk about? Or is it all top secret till they drop? Or how do you, uh, and where are they? Are they all are they on three different places or two different places or on YouTube, Bon Appetit, your website? Like, how, where where are all these these shows? Yeah, where's their where's their home? For right, yeah, for right now, um, it's all I work for Bon Appetit, and they own the intellectual property of the show. Like, it's alive or going places where we 
uh, ferment and travel and the shows we're talking about. And that's on YouTube. It's also on like the streaming apps like uh, like Hulu or uh, I'm not, you know, stuff like that. Got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, but I, yeah, I love that you don't know exactly where your own you know hit show is. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but you know it's, it's you. Yeah, YouTube. You know, I guess that's. I guess because I don't really watch. I don't really watch shows on YouTube, so it's like, you know, it's kind of like you know. I guess we're striving. Netflix would be cool. Maybe one day we'll get there, and hopefully we'll have a bunch of collaborations coming up this this year and, and into the future. You know, because for me personally, I just feel like uh, you know I've grown a lot with this this you know whether it's. I mean, hell, making a book or or videos or just storytelling. Um, I feel like I've grown and matured a lot with it, and I I, I personally feel like just getting started. So yeah, I'm gonna keep on. Uh, yeah, so I feel like that too because Trying. it's because uh, people want more. You know, I want to see more. I want to see you go more places and and talk to more people cool. and and uh, you know learn a little about the culture through your experience and learn a bit a bit more about uh, food preparation and uh, care of the animal in the field and kind of learn along with you, which is so so valuable. Uh, and speaking of that, what 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 things have you learned by going out there and hunting as far as what's important uh, as far as treating that taking care of that that meat in the field um, that before you bring it back? Like what, what are some of the more, more important aspects of that for the, the hunters that are listening or for those that are thinking about getting into this? Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't really, you know, shoot much that I'm not hunting to eat, uh, whether it's in the ocean or on land. Uh, and for, you know, I just, it, the easy part in, you know, is, is sitting in your tree stand or walking around and, and taking out your, you know, your cool gun or bow and arrow that you spend a lot of money on or didn't or whatever. And like, what I'm getting at is like, and it's not that it's easy. I practiced my ass off for it, and it took a while to get good at shooting, whether a gun or a bow. Um, but killing is almost the easy part. You know, like the work begins after you, you know, when that animal, you know, is making sure you get a good uh, place, you know, kill, you know, and, and then, you know, breaking it down and having that respect where, you know, like you kill an animal and then you see, you know, in the movies where it's, you know, the, it's, it's just sitting in the back of the truck, you know, and, you know, just whatever. You just, I always treat it like it's top priority. Like this, like even the ribs of the deer or the neck to me, it's like, it's, I get as excited about that as like someone with like a big ribeye, you yeah, know? Yeah. And like, I got venison necks too. I'm making tonight and nice. built a little walk-in fridge in my little uh, barn area and being able to like hang and process and do my own meat and, and vegetables in there. Um, it's been a game changer, man. But so for fish, I think the biggest thing is like, kill it quick when you get it on deck you know, cut the gills, get the blood out and get it cold, you know, treat it like it was high, treat it like it was Toro, you know, even I treat sea Robin like it was, you know, sushi grade, uh, mm -hmm. uh, tuna, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. everything, it's only as good as how you're going to treat it. Uh, same with, you know, um, mustard greens, you know, you pick it and beat it up. It's going to go to hell. And like an animal certainly does the same thing. Um, so just being able to learn and I still am on the, how to, the process at the best but get the blood out of that fish get it cold get it you know and then from there you know uh, if you're gonna freeze it i don't really freeze fish too too much a little bit but you know you can certainly uh, uh do not as long as red meat but you can you know is freeze it properly i like that you know i like to do the back bag i know a lot of folks are pretty pretty solid with um with red meat and stuff i know a lot of guys like uh you know, the, the freezer paper the wax freezer paper um just you know but just doing it right not just throwing it in a ziploc and then and forgetting it, you know, like I said, killing the animal is the easy part, but respecting and utilizing it all, you know, that's the responsibility. And that separates, I think, in my opinion, the, the real hunters from the, you know, the hacks.
Nice, man. And you, you have a lot going on. So like what, uh, the, the knives, like you have these knife designs that you have out there that are <laughs> awesome that I'm going to get, uh, cause I'm a big knife guy with the, uh, the Huckberry collaboration. Um, what, what, what are the, what are those all about? Like, how did you, uh, come up with that? Yeah, so that's a kind of a neat story, man. I mean, it's a very approachable knife as far as the price point goes, and it's just a workhorse of a, of a blade. Um, it was this old knife I found in a bus tub when I was working uh, at, when I first started at Bon Appetit, and it was neglected, you know, and it was all chipped up, and no one gave, no one cared. Not a very expensive knife, you know. Um, back then, brand new, it was probably fifty bucks, you know. Um, but it had decent steel and it had a nice handle. And it was this big, like teardrop kind of weird shaped blade, you know, like, like I'm, by weird, I shouldn't say weird because it's probably one of the most utilized blade shapes in the world. It's, it's kind of like a Chinese, like, you know, fish cleaver kind of thin blade, you know, just a workhorse, you know what I mean? Like, and, um, so I found it and I, I like, I like sharpening knives and I like metal. So I, I fixed this thing up and made it razor sharp and, um, it became my knife. I started using it on videos and it was ended up being a discontinued model that this company Lamson makes up in Massachusetts. One of the oldest, arguably the oldest knife company in America. And, um, people start reaching out to him being like, Hey, we got to get more. We got to get more. Where can you bring this knife back? And this one guy reached out to me. I forget what his name was on social media. I don't know how I found his, his message. Like I said before, I just randomly check him. And it was this guy. He's like, Hey, work at Lamson. We want to like work with you. Let's bring this knife back. And like, I think I even blew him off like twice and he like <laughs> followed up with me and, uh, and then he was like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll cut you in on a commission of it. And you know, we can put your name, but yada, yada, yada. And they ended up being really nice folks. And I've been working with them for a little while where we made like a, we brought that flat back and we, we customized the handle a little bit and, um, you know, same blade and, uh, and put my name on it. And we, yeah, we've been selling the hell out of them. People, it's a great knife. And it's like, I think it's like 60, 70 bucks. And like, buy two we have beat the hell out of one you know what i mean and like it's still i mean knives i mean you know knives you can spend a good amount of money on a knife oh you yeah know? and um, <laughs> i'm well aware oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a rabbit hole like anything else so i mean i think for having i and don't get me wrong i got you know knives that are you know freaking amazing you know that i hardly even use because i just you know it's ridiculous i just you know i have so many knives um <laughs> but i used some of my like cheaper quote unquote cheaper knives i use the most you know and like don't care if i ship it doing something and you know and yeah so that, that was that's been a fun uh that's been a fun collaboration and you know hopefully i'm going out to oregon uh, in a couple of days portland uh oregon we're doing a little book tour out there with my buddy elias from olympia provisions great guy man we're doing some really cool stuff together uh we got a really cool product collaboration coming out in the future nice. um I'll, I'll have to send you some because i think oh, it's man. It's just a game. It's going to be the next bacon, man. It's it's nice. it's, it's basically yeah. It's basically Taylor ham or or pork roll, something from New Jersey where I grew up. You, I, you might not even be familiar. Pork roll. Yeah, I've never heard of it. I think I've heard of pork roll, but if you explain it to me, maybe I'll be like, ah, oh, okay, that's what it is. Even better if you haven't, because okay. it's, I think the market is just so big, and like, you know, <laughs> so it's it's this it's this really delicious, really shitty pork product, smoked, salty, tangy. It's a raw, big. It's this big around. Comes in like this cloth cylinder bag you cut it open and i've been cooking it and it's in every deli in new jersey since i've been alive and it's made in trenton new jersey there's only two companies that make it taylor ham and uh and trenton pork roll uh, and uh, you cut it thin and you cook it it's, it's like a bologna but it's always been this shitty pork 
Like you eat it, it's delicious, but you, it's not, you don't feel good about it. You don't actually <laughs> feel good after, Yeah. you know, but like, so I'm teaming up with Elias and he, he gets amazing pigs and he works, he does great stuff. He's a master, and especially uh, with sausage. And I was like, if there's anyone who can help me make a really good pork roll, Taylor Ham, it's freaking Eli. So we, he nailed it, man. I think we had, we got the formula down and the bag and the everything. So I think we're, I think we're putting it out. I think we're going to really be releasing it in the next week or so. I'll, oh, nice. I'll send you. Yeah, I have to send you some. It's awesome. freaking great. Man. Awesome. So that'll be before yeah. this uh, this podcast drops. So we'll put it wherever, you know, show notes and all that stuff. That's awesome. Uh, and where, do, where cool. do the people find those knives? Was it on your website? I know I was looking at it on the other day, but I forget exactly how I linked to it. It might be. It might. It, I think it's on, you go to Lampson. Lam, okay. Lampson Sharp. Yeah, Lampson. And um, yeah, yeah, they'll pop up there. The Lampson Sharp Cleaver. Nice, nice. Yeah, there's ones behind me. I don't know if you can see them. So those are uh, from oh, Pennsylvania yeah. in the, the 1800s. And uh, New West Knife Works, they go around looking for these things at, you know, antique sales and garage sales and that sort of thing. And they find these old ones and they trace back the history to the company and when it was made. And then they refurbish them. Very cool. So, yeah, so I got those. Yeah. So the middle one there, that cleaver, I, I've used it the last two years on the turkey uh, to spatchcock it to take that, um, to take that, the spine out. And then, uh, you know, I can open it up a little bit and put it on the, put it on the birch barrel. You can put it on anything yeah. really, but it kind of gets that, that fire and smoke in there. And, oh my gosh, it's been so good. It's great, but, right? But I love using those things it's just so the history Pennsylvania, it's a tool, man, you know steel in the 1800s it's just yeah i'm yeah i love it too <laughs> i i grew up right in northern new jersey we bordered up against pennsylvania and new york on the delaware water gap appalachian trail came through a beautiful area and um yeah i always thought pennsylvania it, it was a neat spot man some of my favorite memories are from from pennsylvania i have a, a chapter in the book that talks about it too um but yeah, that thing's neat, man. That one to the my left of it, a big old hog splitter. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, that's a hog splitter. Yeah. Right there. I want to see yeah, one. I haven't yeah, seen anybody yeah. use one though. I want to see somebody Let's like get a hog. I'll show you. Yeah, I want to see somebody like use that. Like back in the day. I don't know if they were they hanging. How do they do it? What do you, is it hanging or what is it? What do you how do you use that yeah, thing? Yeah, you're hanging and yeah, just use your imagination, man. They just right down the it's just you're just like cutting a chicken, but a pig try to go straight down the side. Guys were good at it, you know, you do it. 400 times a freaking week or something you know yeah oh that's awesome yeah i want to use it in a cool. book i think someone needs to uh i need to use that on a bad guy in one of my one of my novels back there that's probably gonna happen at some point i feel like it's energy sure. you know coming off that wall if you ever need someone on your really cool awesome show coming out on amazon which i'm stoked for if you need a bad guy you can cut my freaking arm off with that all right like, <laughs> sign me up i'm ready awesome i'll remember that i'll let the amazon producers know for the for season two you know that's awesome yeah. i got great arms for cutting <laughs> and uh so sous vide am i saying that right sous vide is that how i'm saying yeah sous vide i have not tried that yet and i've been meaning to for years uh and you're a fan of of using that method aren't you yeah yeah i think you i think you'll love it too man especially for certain things i mean uh you know, it's basically just, just control, right? So it's, you have something in a bag or in a, um, a vessel where you can submerge it in a water bath with a circulator and keep it at just a consistent temperature, you know, and, um, you can get just really consistent, awesome results with things, you know, it's different, you know, it's not exactly the same as like, you know, texturally, uh, you know, it's like, you could do a chicken breast perfect, just traditionally in a skillet. And you can also do one sous vide and then crisp it up and they'll look similar and they'll both be amazing and juicy and tender and delicious, but they are a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great for like, it's great for ribs. I do it in the book with ribs, like tougher things like that, where 
you know, I use it in the book for where like you take a rib, you sous vide it with some flavor profile, which you can also use to make a sauce with. And I go hiking back in the woods, you go cook it by a waterfall or something. You have like perfectly tender ribs that you can just crisp up the outside. And it's like you were cooking them back there for, you know, five hours. Oh, nice. Nice. I like that. I'm going to give that a shot for sure. And then what did the book, what did the, the idea, for, I mean, obviously it's a natural progression of things to make an awesome cookbook like this. Um, but how long did you think about it before you did it? And, uh, and then how did you choose what went in and what didn't like, how did this come about right here? And it's awesome. It's called yeah, Field it was- Notes for Food Adventure, which is a great, great title, you know, and I love the picture on the cover because it's just like, it says fun. It's not just like, some food yeah. on the cover. It's like, you know, that's, that's you, man. That's so awesome. So congratulations yeah, on this, by the way, it's, it's so awesome. Um, and I'm gifting it to a bunch of people for, uh, for the holidays, but, uh, how did this Thank come you. about? Yeah. So, I mean, um, ah, man, I was a, kind of a pro, you know, I, <laughs> I didn't, I had no intentions really. I mean, yeah, maybe one day it seems like a lot of freaking work and <laughs> I don't really have the time. And, um, you know, I said no to a couple of people. I didn't have a man. I wasn't shopping around a manuscript or doing anything like that. And, um, and then, you know, uh, little Brown, this, this guy, Michael, he's the editor. He's my current editor. He's great. And, uh, he, I got, he got in my book editor, Janice, uh, they got me on the phone a couple of times. I said, no, sorry guys. Maybe, maybe another time. I think Janice got a, a little more money out of the, out of the deal and, uh, and then just creative freedom. They're like, just do whatever you want. And I'm just like, all right. And then, and I had my buddy, Pat, who's from Nebraska, who I met in Brooklyn and we're like best buds and he doesn't even shoot food, but he takes beautiful, beautiful photos. And, uh, he shot it with me and like, we got to go on all these trips together and, and just, uh, yeah, it was really, really neat, man. And it took two years and it happened all basically during COVID and it was just, yeah, it was a pain in the ass a lot, but it was one of them things where it's like, you know, I knew it was going to be hard. Uh, but I also knew it was going to be really awesome and worth it. Yeah, no, it's super, super cool. Love the, love the photos. Love that it's, it's, uh, gives some history in here and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not too like intricate. It's like, I feel like I could do a lot of these. Um, yeah, it's, it's not intimidating. Yeah. 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 Cause some, yeah. some cookbooks can get like, oh man, you know, uh, gee, what kind of rest, what, what do you need? Even, Where does that weird thing come from? How do I even find that? And then it's not in the grocery store or whatever, like some spice and you're like, right. oh, it's not going to work. Um, but what's great here. You can, you know, like, just like watching your show, I'm, if I don't have something exactly here, I'm not too worried about it. Cause I've seen your show and how you're just like, ah, let's do a little of this instead. Right. And it's, and it's totally fine. Um, but all this stuff looks so good. So thank you for doing this. Um, I think it's, it's going to be awesome and it's per- coming out at a perfect time, um, uh, as well. So that, that thing is just awesome, man. It's try the squid, cook more squid. It freezes great. It's, uh, it's taking over the ocean and it's just a perfect protein, low in mercury. Only it doesn't live long. It's good on pizza. It's good in pasta sauce. There's a whole chapter about it in the book. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, like when it came to the book, I didn't even, uh, just to finish up real quick with the recipes, like I'm not a recipe guy. They're like, I'm like, you want how many recipes? Like <laughs> I don't even cook with recipes, you know, just like, so there's like, for me, it's just like, here's some recipes I got. Listen, I, I could write a thousand recipes, right? But like, here's some recipes that I like, the guidelines, change them if you want, just Get the, and here's the, like I was saying, here's the chords to some simple things. Do whatever you want with them. I don't, you know, like cook. Yep. Experiment. And you know, it, you're not going to mess it up. Cause, it, because it I, I, yeah. yeah, you might, 
Yeah, right. I mean, and then you know, <laughs> try again, and you won't do it again. You yeah, know? Like, learn, and uh, but seeing you on the show and how you do it, you know, you're definitely, uh, you know, using that baseline knowledge to do all sorts of things on the fly, which is so cool. So that makes me so much more confident uh, when I'm in there trying to follow a recipe and uh, and not mess it up. So uh, super cool, man! And congratulations on this and the uh, and the show. And is it two shows now? Is that it's just, it's kind of, yeah, it's a little confusing to be honest. It's, it's alive. And then there was this thing called it's alive going places, which we don't, it's just, it's alive. Just look up. It's alive for now. That's what we're doing. Um, and I have a show called taste buds where I, I interview celebrities, uh, and it's like a, a food ex journey where we try different things from around the world. And it's fun. You know, it, it's good, clean fun. Um, you know, one, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different type of format, but like my heart and soul is in like what we were talking about the, the, the food exploration, the learning with people, the learning about people, the bringing people together kind of thing. Yeah. Really just bringing people together. Awesome. And food's a great way to do that. And on the, the celebrity one, you had Paris Hilton on recently, I saw. Yeah, she was a sweetheart, man. And uh, we, we, we went, we, uh, we explored berries together. We learned, we laughed. She had beautiful lace gloves. I didn't. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, if we ever work together again, uh, I'm showing up at Lace Gloves. Nice. If you're listening. There you go. There you go. I'm sure she's listening. I'm sure she doesn't miss an episode. Uh, oh, that's awesome, man. <laughs> awesome. No, congratulations. And I can't wait till we link back up again. Maybe we do, uh, we'll touch base about Lanai right. or something. And yeah, it'll be really cool to, to get out there with you and get you in the back of, of Nobu and see how, you know, get you in the kitchen back there and see what they're doing, I guess. You know, maybe do a little uh, collaboration there. I think that'd be fun. Um, and then just hang out. Out there. even make some videos and then hang out too man that sounds like a blast let's do something bud cool cool let's do it let's do it yeah. awesome man well you're on book tour so once again hey man congratulations on this it was so fun to get to hang out at the sig event in wyoming this last year and hopefully we'll get to, to yeah. link up and hunt fish or hang out and make some meals here together soon absolutely thanks again man and uh, it's been great chatting with you and getting to know you and looking forward to uh uh, doing some more stuff down the line. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Congratulations again. And we'll Thank talk you, soon. Man. Yeah, we'll talk later. All right. Later, brother. Today's gear highlight segment is brought to you by 10,000. Now, 10,000 is an athletic apparel company. They make hands down the best training workout shorts that I've ever worn. And I've worn quite a few over my time, both before the military, in the military, and today. I've been wearing their seven inch tactical short, which is these ones right here, and they're interval shorts that I'm wearing right now. But uh, these things are incredible. Uh, and I've been putting on the pack, heading up into the mountain. I've been running. I've been doing throwing the kettlebells around. And uh, as I continue on to get back in shape here, this is my short of choice. I love it so much that I'm going to get all the other stuff that they have out there as well. You can find them 10,000.cc online and also Instagram 10,000.cc there as well. But I'm going to looking forward to trying out their shirts and all the rest of the stuff they have going on there. And I wanted to read their brand ethos because it's, uh, uh, it's very close to what I think about each and every day. And uh, here it is. It says at the heart of 10,000 is a stoic dedication to continuous improvement every day faster, every day stronger, every day better than yesterday. And hashtag better than yesterday is their hashtag on Instagram, which I absolutely love because that's always the goal to do it better than we did yesterday, uh, to learn from what we did yesterday and do it better going forward, turn those lessons into wisdom. Uh, and that's what I try to do with the kids as well is pass some of that along to them. 
We don't believe in overnight success, miracle drugs, cure-alls, quick fixes, or shortcuts. We believe in works in progress. We believe in the value of our failures. We believe in dusting off and getting back up. We believe in grit, tenacity, and grinding. Yes, absolutely love that. Uh, These shorts, I just want to make sure I get this right. Uh, Ultralight ripstop fabric, tough as nails waistband, permanent anti-odor treatment, no-bounce pocket, medium compression, anti-chafe liner, side slits, and four-way stretch for maximum range of motion. Yeah. What all that means is that these are awesome shorts. 10,000 makes gear specific to other types of training, from running to Olympic lifting to boxing. You can also find a short for all the ways you train. Pick up the short that is best for your training and then personalize it with custom liner and inseam options. So awesome. Definitely check them out online. Uh, They have free shipping and free returns and a lifetime guarantee. And I'm going to read this call to action because you can get 15% off your purchase if you remember this. So write it down. 10,000 is offering our listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to 10,000.cc and enter code DANGERCLOSE15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Once again, that is DANGERCLOSE15. To receive 15% off your purchase. That is 10,000.cc and enter Danger Close 15. Awesome. If you've been following me for a while, you probably know I'm a bit of a watch person. Uh, not exactly sure where that comes from, but ever since I was a little kid, I've been fascinated with watches, how they work, but I think more so what they represent time. And there's only a certain amount of time that each and every one of us has on this planet, and we get to decide how we're going to spend that time, how we're going to influence those around us. Uh, So it's a gift. Each and every second is a gift, which is probably why I'm also big on protecting that gift. Uh, Your own life, your family's lives, uh, community, just being prepared. But uh, the time aspect. So I've always just been a watch person. And I found out about Seaholm. So S-E-A-H-O-L-M. And they're at Seaholm Automatic. Dot com and a great website, great Instagram. Uh, but I found out about these guys through my friend, Fred Burton, who has also been on the podcast, author of Beirut Rules and a bunch of other amazing books. Great guy. Uh, but definitely follow Fred, follow Seaholm and uh, check out what they have going on. But they sent me this. It was so nice and very cool. I love when companies are creative with how they package. And if you've seen some of my novels during launch week, uh, go out there, you'll see how that's uh, impacted me. But uh, look at that. You got a compass in there. Super cool. And uh, it unscrews at both both sides of this case. Um, and inside, I also love how they package it here. But uh, yeah, boom, you open this thing up. So you get a leather case here. And I also love when watches come with the tool to change out straps and that sort of thing. So it has this tool that it comes with, has an extra band in there, and then here is the watch. So S-E-A-H-O-L-M. So thank you guys so much for sending this my way. Sincerely appreciate it. And I saw you had a bunch of other watch straps on the website. So I'm probably going to get a couple couple different ones from the website as well and uh, and have a few that I can I can switch out because I have this handy tool. So awesome. See home. Thank you so much. They're in Austin. Texas as well. So very cool. What else do I have here? Blades. So look at this thing. This right here, handmade cane knife uh, from Down the River Forge. So look at that thing. Man, handmade. So Stephen Bateman, uh, thank you 
so much for sending this. Uh, yeah, handmade down the river forge. You can find them down the river forge.com. Uh, follow them also on Instagram down the river forge, but look at that thing. That is serious. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody gets hacked up in one of my novels with something like this, but, uh, very cool. Steven, thank you so much for sending it. it means a lot. And, uh, yeah, if you've been following me for a while, you also know I have maybe a little thing for blades. So uh, very cool. Awesome. All right. That concludes this segment of the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. For more on Brad Leone, go to bradleone.com. That's L-E-O-N-E.com. Click to his social channels from there, Instagram and everything else that he has going on. You can also link to his knives, to this cookbook, and check out his show as well. It's super fun and inspires you to get out there and cook and not be afraid to make mistakes as you're doing it. So super cool. If uh, you want to follow me, you can do so at officialjackcar.com. Link to all the socials. Jackcarusa.com is the merch and it's Jackcarusa on the social channels as well. My latest novel is coming out this May in the blood. You can pre-order that wherever you get your books. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Until the next time, take care, stay, stay safe, be strong, keep fighting. I am so fired up to be able to talk to you today about Aimpoint. I talk about Aimpoint all the time anyway. If you follow the novels, you know they're on a bunch of the M4s that my protagonist, Navy SEAL sniper James Reese, uses. Uh, and that might be because I used them in the military and out of the military still today. Amazing company, great people over at Aimpoint. They've been the leader in red dot sight technology since 1975. So they know what they're doing, both on the tactical side of the house, citizen self-defense side of the house, hunting side of the house. Check out their website. Go to Aimpoint and check them out. They've got so many great things. But today, I'm going to talk about this. This is the Comp M5S right here, 2MOA. And uh, I love this thing because what does it take? A triple A. So for me, I love batteries that uh, can work on a whole bunch of different things from headlamps to your red dot optic to whatever. But you don't really need it for this because once you put one of these in here, it's five to eight years uh, that this thing is going to last turned on. So awesome. But uh, if you've been following me for a while, you know that I am a big proponent of putting a couple of things on your AR or really uh, any AR type weapon system that you're going to be using. Uh, one of those is a red dot. This is the micro from Aimpoint right here, but a red dot sight. Uh, magnifier is nice to have as well. Put the backups on there just in case. And of course, a light and a sling. So uh, if I was going to distill it down to just a couple things, Aimpoint red dot sight, light sling. So that is uh, a solid setup right there. But this one right here, so you can tell it is almost the same size as the micro, if you can see that, boom, right here. But the Comp M5S 2MOA, uh, this one is going on my future A. Ours. And I'm actually in the process of building one right now. When I finish my next novel, I'll take a breath and get that fully set up. But this is what is going on that rifle. And I've been using them obviously for uh, a long time. Uh, if you've read the novels or been following me on social channels or whatever it may be, but this, this is Afghanistan right there. And what is on my M4? That's right. An aim point. Hey, look at that beard. 
But, uh, and then this, some of you will recognize where this is taken also in Afghanistan, but the specific place. And you can see that right there. What's on the rifle. That's right. An aim point. So very cool. And aim points doing an awesome thing right now where you can get a signed copy of the devil's hand with any purchase of the comp M five S or a micro. So very cool. Check them out. Go to aimpoint.info slash Jack Carr, C-A-R-R, uh, and use the checkout code Jack Carr. So if you want a signed copy, I get questions all the time about where they people can get signed copies of the novels. Well, you can get one at Aimpoint if you're setting up your rifle with uh, one of these two red dot optics. So awesome. AAA battery, amazing. Uh, super long lasting, obviously huge benefits to that. And Aimpoint, trusted name, in optics, reliable, proven, trusted. I am a huge fan of this company. Obviously, I uh, go back to my first novel, second novel, third novel, fourth novel, and hey, the fifth novel that I'm working on right now just happens to have an aimpoint on it as well. So uh, check them out once again, aimpoint.info slash Jack Carr for details and use the code Jack Carr at checkout. So aimpoint, thank you so much for all you have done for me over the years for the military over the years. I think it's 1.5 million red dot optics that uh, are in use by the United States military right now. Um, obviously an incredible product uh, that you can trust, that I trust. So uh, thank you for all you do. And I am super fired up to get this on my next rifle build. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you, do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy exactly. or right. Right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.